Good morning. It's good to see you today. What a joy to worship the living Lord Jesus together. Thank you, Todd, for leading us. And uh, summer is a time with a lot going on in our church. We had our Jesus tent at Bonnaroo last week. Thank you to those who volunteered part of that ministry. Lives were touched. Some people were saved as a part of that. Seeds were planted. We just had a group of third through fifth graders return Friday from Journey Camp. Had a great week at Journey Camp. Have students going on a mission trip, leaving tomorrow. We're grateful for what God is doing on our, in our church as we build disciples and reach out. And are so thankful for your part in that and your support of that and your prayers for that. Today I want to share with you about how to overcome temptation. We're going to look at several scriptures in the Bible that are foundational, that are key. And I want to share with you three strategies about overcoming temptation in our lives. Um, oftentimes when I preach, we look at one passage like we did last week. We took 2 Timothy 1, go through that verse by verse. Today is another way that we do it is to do a broad overview. If you're a new Christian, this is a broad overview of the basic passages in the New Testament about dealing with temptation. If you've been a Christian a long time, I hope this will refresh you and your resolve. This applies to all kinds of temptation. These strategies apply if you struggle with worry. How do I win over that worry? If you uh, are prone to anger and you just find yourself an angry person and there's an outburst, how, how, do I, how do I get a hold of that? Maybe you struggle with some addiction, what we call addictive sins or habitual sins. Maybe you struggle with alcohol or substance abuse or prescription drugs. And, and Is there any help in the Bible for how to deal with that? Maybe you deal with pornography or some kind of sexual temptation. And these strategies apply there. So whether it's greed or self-centeredness or envy or gossip, these will apply to every kind of sin. Now, I shared with you we're going to look at three strategies. But before we look at three strategies, I want to share with you three foundational principles about temptation or three promises that you can depend on that ought to encourage you as you deal with temptation. They all come from 1 Corinthians 10, 13, a key verse the first of these promises or foundational principles is, number one, you're not the only one facing this temptation. Whatever you're dealing with, you're not the only one facing this temptation. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says in the first line, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. You see, in temptation we sometimes feel isolated, like I'm the only one like I've got it worse than anyone else, and that weakens us, and this promise is given you to show that we're all dealing with the same things. Elijah had this sense of isolation. You may remember in 1 Kings chapter 19, there was a time when Elijah was depressed about the widespread idolatry, the Baal worship that was going on in Israel, and he cried out to God and said, God, I'm the only one who is still faithful to you. And you know what God said in response to him? Among other things, he said to Elijah, there are 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed their knee to Baal. Elijah, you missed it by about 6,999. You were close, but not exactly right. We get that sense, though, don't we, that, I, that I'm the only one, and that weakens us, and you need to hear this promise no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. I had a, a person tell me one time, um, 
I said, Pastor, it's just impossible to live a Christian life where I work. He said, you don't understand how much lying and cheating and profanity and immorality there is in the setting of my professional environment. It's just impossible. I don't remember what I said to him, but what I hope I said was read this verse to him right there because this is exactly uh, speaks to that. You see, he had the idea, it's impossible, you can't do that. And so look, there are other people in your profession, in your situation, in your business who are dealing with the same kinds of things. Don't say that you're unique. You're not the only one facing this temptation. The second foundational principle or promise from this verse is you'll not be tempted beyond what you can bear. Continuing to read in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, And God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And so God regulates Temptation. He edits the temptation that comes into your life. Like a pressure regulator or a voltage regulator or a governor on an engine that controls that. He controls the, what comes into your life. And he'll not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. You may remember in the story of Job that Satan wanted to destroy Job. And God set some limits. He let Job have some wide liberty with Job. But he set some limits. And God's promised to do that in your life. In my life. Now, you might say, well, if God limits temptation, why doesn't he just completely limit it? Just do away with all of it. Why didn't he keep me from any temptation? I don't know fully the answer to that, but I suspect it is that God allows some temptation in your life because just as wind makes trees stronger, a, a, a tree that has been subject to some wind can withstand greater wind rather than a tree that was completely sheltered. The wind makes the wood stronger. Just as silver is refined, purified by heat that is applied to it, it burns out the dross. I think that's why God allows some temptation in our lives. But he promised he'll not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. The third foundational principle from this verse is you'll always be provided a way out of your temptation. Last phrase of 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So there's always an exit. There's always a way out of temptation. Those are promises that God has given us about temptation. So based on those foundational promises, how do we gain victory over temptation? I want to share with you three simple strategies that the Bible tells us. The first one is to flee. That's not like the little bug, F-L-E-A. That's F-L-E-E. Flee! Run! Put some distance between yourself and some temptations. Just some space is going to help you on some temptations in regard to sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. And another passage that tells us of this strategy is 2 Timothy 2.22, flee the evil desires of life. And so when you're a Christian, there are some places you don't need to go. When you're a Christian, there are some websites that you don't need to go to. When you're a Christian, there are some associations that you don't need to be a part of. You are to be a friend with people of every kind, but in the people you run with or hang with, Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. So the first strategy in dealing with, with temptation is 
to put some distance, people who deal with addictions know that often they have to change up some friendships or associations because the company they're in is, is uh, encouraging that temptation. So there, there may need to be some fences, some limits, some boundaries in your life, and that's the first strategy to dealing with a temptation. For example, I had a, a, a guy, I mean a lady tell me one time that uh, she was married and that when she took her break in the break room, went to the Coke machine, that she often ran into a, a married guy there and she said, he sort of flirts with me and talks with me and I get all tingly all over, she said. And he, she said, what should I do? And I said, the first thing I said to her was, not, oh, you need to pray about this. The first thing I said was, is there another Coke machine where you work? I mean, that, that's the most obvious strategy. Could you drink water instead of Coke? Can you take your break at a different time? You, you see, that first strategy is they're just, they're, they're just that's a, nothing wrong with being at that Coke machine, but for that person, that was a place that that person did not need to be. So are there any fences in your life? You always set boundaries for your kids, don't you? You don't let your kids cross the street by themselves. Set some boundaries in your own life for your own protection about what you watch and listen to and the places you go and the associations you have. That's the first strategy in dealing with temptation. Now, that won't work for every temptation. You cannot distance yourself from every source of temptation. There's a second strategy that the Bible gives us, and that is to fight. First strategy is to flee. The second strategy is to fight. And James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. So this verse reminds us that there is a real spiritual being named the devil or Satan who wants to destroy you. He is, he is against God, and if you're the crown of God's creation, and God loves you, and so the devil wants to destroy you. You're in a battle. You're in a spiritual warfare. His method of destruction is to drag you into sin with its consequences and alienate you from the God who loves you. So you're in a battle here in, in temptation. You need to recognize that battle, and you've got to fight. You've got to put up some resistance. This full verse, if I put the full verse up here, says in the first part, submit to God, and then it says, and resist the devil. We get that backwards, and we resist God who wants to help us, and we submit. We just roll over for the devil. All right, you need to, you're in a fight here. You need to take this seriously. Resist the devil. And it seems that from this verse, that the Bible is telling us that the devil is an opportunist, that he picks out weak targets, that uh, uh, he, if you put up some resistance, this verse says, if you're not an easy mark, then he'll flee from you. Resistance will bring you at least temporary relief. So there needs to be some resistance. Are you taking that seriously and resisting that temptation? You say, well, how would I do that? Let's look in this broad survey that we're going through today. Let's look at one of the great passages about this battle, about how to fight. It's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. It says in verse 11, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So here's this spiritual battle that we need to be aware of. The devil's against you. He's going to scheme uh, to defeat you. Now, how do you fight? This passage is called the armor of God. It's 
compares spiritual weaponry to a soldier's armor. And it says in verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. The biggest danger is not the people. We talked about fleeing. That's it. But it's, now we're going deeper than that. But it's against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. See, there are evil beings, there are demons, there are spiritual forces, and their job is to war against you. Therefore, verse 13, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, that is the day of temptation, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with, and he begins to list these pieces of the armor. We don't have time in our broad overview today. It would be a great study for you to go through them one by one. We've done that before, but now we're getting this broad overview. So let me summarize them into three groups for you here. These are our three weapons that he's given us to resist or to fight. And the first is your salvation. Your salvation. Several of these that I'm going to read relate to your salvation experience, and that's your first weaponry or defense. And it says in verse 14, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation. So your righteousness of Christ and the gospel and the helmet of salvation relate to your salvation experience, and that is weaponry for you in your battle against temptation. You see, what you can do, you claim that, and you stand in that, and you speak about that. You tell yourself, hey, this is not who I am. I'm not going to talk like that. I'm not going to act like that. I am a child of God. I'm not like this anymore. I've been saved. I've been redeemed. You put on that helmet of salvation. You put on that breastplate of Christ's righteousness. You say to the devil, no, I am not going to give in to this anger or this gossip or this greed or whatever it is because I have been redeemed. I might have used to have been like that, but now I belong to Jesus. It's, that's not me anymore. You, you see how your salvation experience, your relationship with Christ is a great weaponry there. 1 John 4, 4 says, We have overcome because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I think Satan is stronger than you, but the one in you, when you believe in Jesus Christ, he comes into your life, his spirit resides there, and greater is the one in you than the one in the world. So you remember that, you claim that, you affirm that, you stand in that, and you tell yourself and the devil of that salvation experience. That's your first weapon. Second category of weaponry here is the Bible. Next in verse 17 it says, and take the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. I think that relates to the Bible. I think the belt of truth relates to the Bible. You see the devil traffics in lies. He's going to lie to you. He's going to rationalize with you. He's going to plant in your mind these thoughts. It's it's not so bad. There's no consequences. Everybody's doing this. I couldn't help this. You know, he, he's going to distort truth. You're thinking, you ever, you ever been in, in really angry or really uh, away from God and your thinking just got all distorted and you weren't thinking straight and you were believing lies? That's what the devil does in your life. So how do you combat that with truth? And the Bible is truth. So what you really need to do, I would encourage you to memorize some of these verses 
that I'm sharing in this sermon. These are the foundational verses about dealing with temptation. Write them in the flyleaf of your Bible. That's why God put white pages at the front and the back of your Bible so you could write down things that are, that are meaningful, important to you, and you'll have them right there. So memorize some verses. You see, this is the strategy that Jesus used in his battle. Jesus, after his baptism, went through a period of temptation, and it says the tempter, the devil is called by that title there. He, he, he tried to distort his thinking, and how did Jesus respond? He quoted Scripture to the devil. If Jesus did that, shouldn't we use that strategy? But most of us have memorized very little scripture that we could quote to the devil in time of temptation. Why don't you just start with 1 Corinthians 10, 13, write it in the flyleaf of your Bible, and you get in those situations, and you say, no temptation has overtaken me that's not common to mankind. God is faithful. He will not allow me to be tempted more than I can bear, but with the temptation will make a way of escape. Wouldn't that be a great verse for you to have in your heart? Wouldn't some of these others be great? So, Jesus used this strategy. The, the Bible is a weapon in the battle against temptation, and some of us are fighting with a butter knife instead of a sword because we have not spent time in the Bible and learned some verses in the Bible. And, and you need that when the devil distorts your thinking. The third class of weaponry here in Ephesians 6 that I would mention is prayer. Let me read to you verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Prayer is a weapon in the battle against temptation that I think we underutilize. I don't think I pray that much about my temptation. I pray a lot at Thanksgiving. I just kept grateful. Oh, I'm so grateful what God's done for me. I pray for people a lot. Uh, I pray for God's help. Except for sin some. But do I pray a lot about what Jesus taught in the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, we call it, one of those lines is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's in verse 13. Um, so do you pray like that? Jesus said to. You remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he died, and he took these disciples with him and told them to pray? What did he tell his disciples to pray for when he was with them in Gethsemane? Did he say, pray that we don't get arrested? Did he say, pray that we stay safe? Did he say, pray pray that, uh, that, we, that uh, uh, we, we don't get hurt? You know what he said? Pray that you do not enter into temptation. He saw that as the great danger. The great danger was the moral fight that was going on there. So even beyond safety and health, he said, pray that you don't enter into temptation. You ever pray like that? So I think you need to take this battle seriously enough that you say, God, I'm going to, to work today, and I know what's happened in the past, and I'm going to be tempted to say some things that I shouldn't because I know the situation coming up. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. I take this battle seriously, and I'm asking for your help. Do you use these weapons of affirming your salvation, of memorizing Scripture, of using prayer, we're in a battle here with just the devil who's tempting you. Now, there's a third strategy that's deeper than evil being persecuted. Some temptation you can flee from. Look at distance. Don't, don't go to that website. Use some kind of software that filters on your computer. That's, you can flee it. 
Second, there, there's, there's a resistance, something you have to fight. You can't get away from every temptation in your life. You're going to have to stand your ground and fight in the Word of God, in prayer, and the good news of Christ that is the gospel. But a deeper strategy than these, the real heart of the problem, nature, the real root of our battle with temptation is within our human nature. Let me read to you James 1, 13 through 15. When tempted, no one should say, God has tempted me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire problem is deeper than me. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So my great problem is my nature. There's an old comic strip. You know what a comic strip is? It used to be a newspaper. Do you know what a newspaper used to be? They used to have these papers that you'd get every day, and they used to have this page I really think there might benefit some, some more humor among the, the viewers. I, I really think we could benefit with that thing. But anyway, so there was this old, old, old comic strip. You're not, young, you're not old enough to remember called Pogo, which is swamp creature animal. And Pogo's most famous line is, when you met the enemy, he is tough. And that's what James is saying. We've met the enemy. It's me. I'm the problem. If I'm going to get to the root of my temptation, there's got to be some change happen on the inside of me because at the root of it, yes, Satan is a factor of that, but what Satan is doing is, is stirring up my evil desires. He's working on the what's there naturally within me. There's an old comedian called Flip, named Flip Wilson, and Flip Wilson's tagline was, the devil made me do it. And that's true. The devil, as we've just seen, does make you do things. But what Wilson was using that line, and what we sometimes do, is to say, I couldn't help it, it's not my responsibility, because the devil made me do it. Yes, you're in a battle with the devil, but the devil is capitalizing on your nature. So the real root of this is to change you. You can't just say, the devil made me do it. It's you, it's me. So, can we change on the inside? Some people say no. Some people will say once a drunk, always a drunk. She's gossiped all her life. She's gossiped all the rest of her life. Some people say, you can't change. I don't believe that. I believe in the power of Jesus Christ. He can change anyone. I believe that greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. So how do you change? Let's go to one more passage, foundational passage in this battle. Last one, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. It begins with the acts of the flesh. Here's what you will do if you don't change your evil, sinful desires because what's in you is rotten and it'll come forth in, here it lists them, Galatians 5.19, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, 
disarray, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. If this characterizes your life and you don't repent, you're not going to heaven, you're going to hell. That's what the book says. But, you don't have to stay in that. But is the next word, the first word in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is. So when you believe in Jesus, He comes into your life. That is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, takes up residence in your physical body. And He changes you from the inside out. And this is what He can produce. Verse 22, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things there is no law. Now how does that happen? How does that change in my inner nature happen? Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so when you invite Jesus into your life, when you repent of your sin and put your faith in him, he comes into your life and you experience what he did in death, burial, and resurrection. That's why we baptize people and we put them underwater and we bring them up. It symbolizes the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You've got to have a crucifixion experience in your life. That is, you've got to get desperate enough where you say, Jesus I can't do this by myself. I keep talking like this. I keep doing these things in relationship. I need you, and I'm willing to die to my old way of life. I, I'm so serious about this radical start that, that I'll die with you to it. Whatever you need to do in my life. And we get to that point where we share with Jesus and we receive the crucifixion of that old nature. And you'll be born again with a new nature, new desires, new cravings. You know, there's some things that I've disliked and I've feared I've spent good years in. I like them now. My desires have changed. Have yours over the years? In other words, your appetites have changed. Same thing has happened in your life when you come to Christ. Your appetite can change. Your desire, oh, you're still going to be a sinner the rest of your life. You're still in a war against this battle, but there can be victory because he not only changes you by crucifixion, but the next verse, the continual process is, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And so you come to Jesus, and you're born again, you die to that old life, and you're forgiven, you have a new life, and then the Spirit lives within you, and He's going to be He's going to be the wind blowing your sails in the de- direction of good desires, and if you'll keep in step with Him, then you can be changed. You'll never reach glorification until you die. You're not going to reach perfection until... Jesus comes, but you can make victory. You can overcome temptation like that. Jesus works in our life and gives us new nature. We need to prevent our appetites from growing like Maybe speaking to you right now about pushing boundaries that you need to make. Maybe speaking to you about you're not taking the battle seriously. Maybe speaking to you about the deep inner change that needs to take place in your life. Would you pray with me right now? Oh, Father, thank you that you love us even though we're sinners. It just amazes us. And Lord, we want to please you. We want to 
we want victory. We, want, we know that sin brings only bad consequences in our life. So help us. Right now, wherever we are, some of us are dealing with specific things. And we desire your help, and we want wisdom. Some of us need to make some outer changes. Some of us need to get serious about the Bible and prayer. Some of us need deep within our lives to get desperate enough to cry out to you right now. I pray that will happen. And I pray for those who don't have you in their lives yet, that right now, today, there'd be somebody in this room that would say, Oh, Jesus, I believe in you. I know I'm in a spiritual battle, and I claim you as my Savior. Forgive me and come into my life. Make me new. Give me new desires. Oh, Lord, thank you for your help that you have given us. Through Jesus our Lord we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me now? We're going to sing a song of invitation. If you prayed as I was praying to receive Jesus as Savior, or if that's the desire of your heart, would you walk forward publicly, unashamedly, and claim Jesus as your Savior? You can be baptized at our next baptism. In this time today, just walk forward while we're singing. Meet me or another pastor here at the front. There'll be a decision counselor if you have any questions. If you haven't prayed yet, they'll help you in any way you need. If you're ready, we'll just celebrate with you. Today could be that life-changing time in your life. Maybe you're a believer. You're not taking the battle seriously. You need to pray about something you want to pray. There'll be somebody happy to pray with you, or you can pray by yourself here. Maybe you need a church home. We'd welcome you to join First Baptist Church. It's our, your opportunity to walk forward. Let's sing together. Just as I am without one, but that Thy blood was shed for me, and that Thou didst
thank you. Be seated again, if you will, for just a few moments. We're going to next give our offerings to God and uh, thank Him for what He's given us so graciously. We not only support His work, but we worship Him as we give. And also, if you have a guest card or a prayer card, you can place that uh, in the offering plate as well. Guests, we're so glad you're here. Thanks for coming to worship. keeping us safe from the evil one. Lord, we just ask that you would bless this offering today. Use it and do your purposes and build your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to introduce you to uh, Cora Folks. Uh, Cora is a, uh, is a student at our, in our School of the Arts uh, and is the student of Martha, our, uh, organ, our organist, and also a great vocalist here in the church. Uh, but uh, the she sang on her recital a, a few months ago, and she sang this song, and it, and it just blew me away, and I thought, you know, I just want to share that with our church. Uh, so in part, I just wanted you to kind of hear uh, this song and enjoy it. This is a great song from Cora singing it. But also, I wanted to use it as a way to remind you that uh, this summer, starting on July the 8th through that week, uh, we're going to be doing a music camp uh, to where for, for grades first through fifth, uh, for anybody who wants to be a part of that. And so if you want to know more about our music camp, it's kind of like VBS for music. Uh, so if you want to know more about that, let us know. Uh, you can find out more information on our website. Or you can ask my wife, Susan, who's sitting at the piano, who's the director of that program. But uh, without further ado, I want you to hear You Say by uh, Cora. Just the sum of every high and every low. 